Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Welcome to Market View with me. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Manpreet Gill. He's the head of fixed income, currencies and commodities investment strategy at Standard Chartered. Manpreet, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm great, Michelle. How are you? Doing very well, but not as good as you. I understand Standard Chartered has appointed you to be its chief investment officer for Africa, the Middle East and Europe. The announcement just hit wires yesterday. Congratulations. Am I the first to interview you in your new role? Thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, indeed, you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful. So let me put you on the spot. What do we need to know about investing in Africa or Middle Eastern equities? Does the narrative differ much from investing here in Asia Pacific or in the U.S.? You know, when it comes to interest rates, inflation, fears of recession, are these amongst the biggest drivers of sentiment as well? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the long-term fundamentals, uh, you know, when it comes to investing, uh, never change regardless of the region. So I think when we're looking at, uh, obviously, African Middle East markets, you know, a lot of the basics uh, still apply. Like you said, I think, you know, there are a few sort of big narratives that are dominating markets today. The interest rate outlook, particularly for the U.S. dollar, that, of course, is one key sentiment. But the other one I'd sort of point out is oil prices. Mm. Uh, That's clearly been a, a big upside, particularly for regional equity and bond markets. And it's one for reasons why we prefer the energy sector uh, across uh, all sort of major equity market regions, uh, whether that's in, in the U.S. or indeed in across Asia and emerging markets in the Middle East. So that's a second narrative, of course, we've been keeping a close eye on. When it comes to African markets, though, I would sort of add the fact that what the U.S. dollar does, whether we, we are approaching, you know, less upside, perhaps more of a sideways range, mm. that may be quite important because from a currency market perspective, that's really been a big headwind. Uh, well, for African currencies, but in fact, for most emerging market currencies, including here in Asia. All right. So in terms of sectors that a newbie listening in might want to look at first in Africa or Middle East, would you say Forex or bonds are the way to start? Uh, I would. And look, from a sector perspective, of course, you know, oil is, is, it will always be a key theme. And of course, that's, uh, you know, key from the equity market perspective. But actually, that may, may feed quite well into the bond market side, particularly when you're looking at U.S. dollar bonds. You know, it's clearly led to an improvement in average credit quality across the Middle Eastern bonds mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. dollar space. And, and that can be an interesting source of diversification, particularly when you think from the point of view of Asia dollar bond investors. I think when it comes to Africa, of course, like I said, we have seen quite a nice rebound rally as risk appetite has returned. Uh, but the key here is the U.S. dollar uh, and whether we have another wave of strength in front of us or, as we believe, we may have sort of approached more of a sideways range now. All right, let's bring the conversation back to this part of the world. And one of the biggest headlines of the day that many investors have been pondering in terms of reaction, and that is Chinese interest rates. The U.S., Europe and other major economies are tightening monetary policy to bring inflation under control, but not China. The People's Bank of China surprised the markets yesterday by cutting a key interest rate. It dropped a one-year medium-term lending rate by 10 basis points. That is the first time the PBOC has lowered rates since January. So 10 basis points, not a lot, Manpreet, but the rate cut is still jarring as China's central bank has not sounded dovish of late. So what does this interest rate cut tell you? Is the Chinese economy doing significantly worse than we thought? I'd argue that what it tells us is exactly what I guess our view has been over the past few months, that mm. China's economy is at a very different point in the cycle to the U.S. So while the U.S. You know, growth is strong and the central banks are tightening policy to try and lean against that strength and slow it down, in China, we're at a point where policymakers are 
you know, actually eating policy in an effort to stabilize and ultimately improve growth. And the central bank action is just you know, one measure in what's been a series of those uh, over the past couple of months. And as a financial market investor, that's interesting because while some of the data is undoubtedly weak, you know, with that, that's been relatively well known, especially when you look at Q2 data. But for markets which ultimately discount the future, what we find more interesting is the direction of policy. The fact that we are getting easing, the fact that we are getting supportive measures, uh, because markets ultimately discount a more optimistic future well before you see that in the economic data. So when you combine that with what we see as fairly attractive valuations, at the end of the day, I'd read sort of an interest rate cut as a sort of feeding into our view uh, that ultimately these measures prove supportive for the market. It's a reason why we're positive on Chinese equities. Do you think China will continue to loosen monetary policy in the months ahead then based on that view? And if so, could this be good news for Chinese equities? Well, I'd argue, um, you know, whether monetary policy or elsewhere, clearly we do expect, you know, more policy measures to come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it'll be a combination of more macro measures uh, like the kind we've seen, but also more targeted sector-specific measures, uh, which we've also seen in, in recent weeks. And ultimately, yes, we believe those should be positive for uh, Chinese and indeed Asian equities more broadly. I mean, let's not forget that from mid-May, we did see quite a, a strong sort of streak of outperformance mm-hmm. uh, from Asian and Chinese equities. Uh, it's only been over the last few weeks that we've given some of those back with some of the new COVID restrictions and, and soft data. But we expect those will ultimately prove temporary uh, because as these measures cumulatively, we believe at some point uh, should help Chinese equities start to discount a more optimistic future. One sector that appears to have quickly reacted to the latest news about China's economy is a global market for oil. The price of West Texas crude has dropped below 90 US dollars for the first time since February. It's currently trading at around 88 and a half US dollars per barrel. This drop is part of a trend Oil prices have dropped about 25% over the past two months. Manpreet, back when Russia invaded Ukraine, many analysts were predicting that oil would soar to 200 US dollars per barrel. How did they get it wrong? Well, I think the temptation to focus on, on the supply side, where mm. supply does remain quite constrained, but the narrative today is really about the demand side. Uh, and whether slowing growth in China and the possibility of an economic recession in the U.S., whether that means demand could slow significantly from where we are today. Now, I always caveat that to the fact that oil does tend to be quite a volatile asset. Uh, You do can see much larger swings in price than what we're used to in equity on bond markets, for example. Uh, But in the short term, you know, with this narrative, it is possible we see oil prices drop further. A technical analyst in our team, for example, expects prices to go to, you know, support at 82 before, you know, we review the outlook. But at the end of the day, to me, the key is more the long-term recession outlook. Because if there are downsides on the demand side, that's the one I would worry about. But without that, you know, the oil demand supply balance does remain quite tight. And, and that's why I'd still have a constructive bias when I'm looking out longer term, mm. uh, unless, you know, we really start seeing firmer signs of a recession. Well, motorists will be grateful for that 82 figure in the short term you mentioned. I want to bring the conversation back to China now, where Beijing's COVID zero policies are not only slowing economic growth, they're also affecting the public psyche. Yesterday, videos went viral of shoppers inside an IKEA in Shanghai. They were panicking. They were trying to get out of the building to avoid a flash shutdown. Health authorities in the financial hub were imposing temporary control measures at Yes and IKEA after they found out that a close contact of a six-year-old boy with a symptomatic COVID infection had been there. Imagine that. As long as COVID zero policies are in place, Manpreet, can China's economy really recover? 
Well, it's undoubtedly one of the challenges I think you know economic policymakers have have to live with. But you know what I'd argue is that it's a bit like when we went through the initial waves of you know elsewhere in the world. You know the initial concerns about lockdowns are quite significant. The economic and market impact were significant, uh, but you know markets, businesses, you know kept getting better uh, at continuing business as usual during subsequent you know policy lockdowns and similar events. And I think it's a little bit of the same we're seeing in China. Mm. Uh, it's clearly a risk. It's something we need to watch quite closely that we don't see a widespread escalation in, in lockdowns. But at the end of the day, we can see the focus, you know, is turning into form for businesses and for markets is still on a several other factors. There's the policy discussion we just had. So it's a risk. It's something to keep a close eye on, but it may not be enough to sort of hold back, you know, Chinese recovery if, if other policy efforts uh, ultimately prevail. I want to pick up on another theme I'm hearing quite a bit about with other analysts, another sign of potential decoupling between the U.S. and Chinese financial markets. Over the past week, five Chinese state-owned companies, including China Eastern Airlines, have said that they will delist from the U.S. markets. Manpreet, are the floodgates just starting to open? Are we going to see a lot more Chinese companies packing up and going home? And if so, what do you think this could mean for markets? Well, I think a balanced sort of approach to that. I mean, undoubtedly, these make for big headlines, but I think markets had sort of priced in worries about exactly this when the tensions about, you know, listing and audited records first sort of came through. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way I look at it is ultimately, you know, look at it through a geopolitical lens. And I think as a financial market investor, the lens we always take is that the vast majority of geopolitical events tend to have relatively short-lived impacts on markets. They do create volatility at the event, but unless there are some forms of structural changes, uh, usually they tend to be uh, short-lived. And I think in Chinese assets, it's a combination of the two. I think one is we've, we've also saw the reaction to headlines you know, uh, previously. Uh, but you know, from a longer-term perspective, our sector views in China do feed a little bit into this because we do see you know, geopolitical tensions between the two countries rise longer term. You know, our preference for the industrial sectors. It's ultimately a pro-cyclical sector. It should benefit from policy support for, to support Chinese growth longer term. Uh, but it does support you know, the incentive this creates for greater self-reliance, particularly in strategic sectors in China. So you know, at least sort of keeping the focus as a financial market investor, we think those are two ways that you know, uh, investors can address the situation. Okay, I'm going to ask about another headline and see what your thoughts are, whether we're moving towards structural change on this point. This week, another U.S. congressional delegation, this one led by a U.S. senator from Massachusetts, has visited Taiwan. And their visit coming less than two weeks after U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi traveled there. China says its military is now holding fresh patrols around the island. The spike in tensions between the U.S. and China has led our deputy prime minister here in Singapore, Lawrence Wong to warn that the two superpowers may, quote, sleepwalk into conflict. Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger also warns that Washington and Beijing are edging towards armed conflict. I'd love to get your view, Manpreet. What do you think? Are you concerned? Are the markets concerned about the possibility of conflict in the Pacific? Well, uh, the concern is there. But, you know, again, I think it's important to separate the geopolitical significance and the financial market significance, because they are a little bit different. And again, looking from the point of view of a financial market investor, look, I don't see to seek to downplay the risks. I mean, clearly rising geopolitical risk in Asia, you know, stemming exactly from some of these risks has been a theme for us for some time. It's a new risk that, you know, Asian investors haven't dealt with in, in previous decades. Mm-hmm. But I always use the analogy of South Korean equities. I mean, that's almost been a little bit of a example of geopolitical risk that we've seen over a period of two to three decades. And I think what's interesting is that as long as, you know, conflict does not escalate dramatically. 
we've seen a number of sort of military, you know, small-scale military events on the Korean Peninsula, but at least the previous point that for markets they've created short-lived volatility, but almost all of them have turned out to be great buy and dip opportunities. Now, of course, if there is one event where we see a more significant escalation, that's the one to worry about. But you know, speaking purely from the narrow lens of a market investor, that's usually the lens we deal with in terms of any geopolitical events you know, around US-China or any other in the region. I'm speaking with Standard Chartered's Chief Investment Officer for Africa, the Middle East and Europe, Manpreet Gill. You're with me, Michelle Martin. Manpreet, let's talk about something a little happier now. That would be the U.S. market's performance overnight. The Dow closed up about half a percent as it enjoys its longest winning streak in nearly three months. The Dow is up about nine percent now over the past month. The Nasdaq doing even better. It's up more than 20 percent from its lows. Now, Wall Street seems divided about whether this rally has legs. JP Morgan says yes. Morgan Stanley says no. Manpreet, what do you think? Well, I'd say in the short term, I think you know the fact that interest rates, uh, sorry, bond yields rather, have been gapped, uh, that does offer some room for optimism uh, mm-hmm. that the rally has some sustainability. Uh, because if you think about what caused the big downward pressure in the first half of the year, it was interest rate expectations being revised higher. And now that that pressure has eased, we've seen sort of positioning really help the rally. Um, I wouldn't expect the same scale of rally as positioning has normalized in our view to some extent. But longer term, it does sort of come back to the question about recession because, you know, if the Fed simply delivers on what is priced then the economy does sort of end up avoiding a recession, I think that creates a more optimistic scenario. The risk is that the U.S. economy does end up in recession because that is a scenario where, you know, markets may have to take at least another leg lower or at least some more volatility ahead, despite obviously the the extended pullback in the first half of the year. So that's the reason ultimately as an investor, why we've taken a balanced view to equities and bonds. Uh, We do think a lot of pain is priced in equities. Uh, We did see almost a 25% pullback in U.S. equity markets in the first half, which arguably prices in an average recession. But, you know, we may not be completely out the woods and we think that balanced approach is the best way for investors to deal with, you know, the risk, but not certainty of a recession. Finally, before I let you go, another headline's caught my eye. It seems that the U.S. dollar has been strengthening this year. You alluded to it earlier as well. Asia central banks have been offloading uh, the U.S. dollar. Bloomberg and CBA's uh, Martin Wetton note that China alone has cut nearly 180 billion U.S. dollars of reserves, while the rest of Asia has actually trimmed even more. Manpreet, what is your view? Why do you think Asia central banks have been doing this? And is this really meant to support their own currencies? Uh, absolutely. I, I think when you think about the rise and fall in foreign exchange reserves, a lot of these moves tend to be quite natural. It's almost a reversal of the past where we saw reserves rise as we saw strong capital inflows into the region. You know, that's a natural outcome of large inflows. And, you know, we've seen sort of a, a move in the opposite direction as we've seen more outflows, you know, investors less willing to put capital in emerging markets generally. But a lot of these are ultimately more about, you know, smoothening out and avoidance of sharp moves in the FX market. And at the end of the day, you know, as long as, you know, foreign exchange reserves are not near critical thresholds, you know, it's not something I'd argue, you know, investors pay a huge amount of attention to if it's simply about, you know, smoothening out the ebb and flow of capital flows. Of course, there are, you know, arguably some frontier markets where, you know, when you have periods of strong dollar strength, it does create questions in terms of, you know, you know, debt sustainability. Of course, you know, what they mentioned in Sri Lanka, of course, tend to be on top of a lot of investors' minds. But that's why when it comes to emerging markets as a risk for bond investors, and our preference is to take a very diversified approach, because while these can be significant from a social perspective, 
you know, emerging market dollar bond in, you know, indices tend to be quite well diversified. So, so that sort of helps mitigate the risk of things going wrong in one, you know, bond market alone. In terms of long-term trends, could this be another step in moving away from the U.S. dollar dominance? Well, you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion of that, but, uh, you know, the dollar, you know, has remained dominant over the past few decades. Um, I think when you look at the composition of global reserves, the dollar is still very, very dominant. And look, directionally, other currencies have been taking prominence. The euro's arguably had more success than any other currency in taking a greater share of global reserves. Uh, but these tend to be very slow, gradual changes. So again, for the average financial market investor, that may be too gradual or too long horizon, you know, a shift to easily trade on. So something to keep a close watch on uh, in the coming years, uh, but not something that, you know, we'd go out and put a trade on tomorrow. (laughs) Manpreet, thank you so much. Fantastic insights. Great speaking with you. Have a great day ahead. Thanks very much. Have a great day yourself. Manpreet Gill, Chief Investment Officer for Standard Chartered for Africa, the Middle East and Europe. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.